the next battle for survival. People are dying over here. We'll be against another Starfleet crew on a two-hour Voyager. Wednesday night at 8 on UPN 11. Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Karnik, and with me to hear a nice walk on a planet about to get shot are... Bill Woywad. Adam Bowen. And Rudy Kuspaker. So, Strange New Takes is a Star Trek-themed podcast that's supposed to be covering Strange New Worlds, but we got started early. Like, really early. Um, we covered uh, Lower Decks, Discovery Season 3, and we have been covering ep- episodes across Trek series that present us with very interesting moral dilemmas. So today we're super excited to bring you strange new takes for our for for the episode Voyager Equinox part 1 and 2. You know when strange new worlds actually starts, we have to have like a huge party or like a special episode <laughs> or something. <laughs> It'll have been a long way. Um it's been a long to... road <laughs> getting from there to here. <laughs> All right, keep going, man. Keep going. Just ignore that was beautiful, Notch. Yeah. Thank you. Missing Emily. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, uh, so please follow us on social media at Strange New Takes Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tell your real-life friends about the podcast as well. Uh, And also give us a five-star rating on iTunes. You have to make sure to do every single one of those things or something terrible will happen. And uh, we'll have to resolve it in a time paradox. So, Uh (laughs) Uh, Also, this is your spoiler warning. If this episode that aired 22 years ago is something that you haven't watched, go ahead and watch it. I mean, if you don't want to, you don't have to. You could just listen to us. I do that sometimes. That's fine. Just know that you'll get spoiled. So, uh, yeah, now now that we've established that, uh, before we get to talking about Equinox real quick, I do want to mention that we have some strange new worlds news. We have some some characters from the show who've been cast. Um... Babs Olusan Olusan Mokun, uh, who's been Black Mirror and Dune, Christina Chong from Tom and Jerry and Black Mirror. I hope she's animated just like she is in Tom and Jerry. <laughs> Celia Rose Gooding from Jagged Little Pill, uh, Jess Bush, uh, Skinford and Les Norton, and Melissa Navia from Dietland and Billions. I have watched exactly zero of those shows except Tom and Jerry from the 50s, which I don't think Christina Chong yeah. was in. So, That's probably not what they're talking about. No, probably not. And they all, all these folks recorded a nice video where they're all giving the intro uh, to, you know, the intro speech about... Um, oh, cool. Space, the final frontier, etc., etc. So there's a video of them doing that if you want to go watch it. So uh, they've also started principal photography on... Um, on, on Strange New Worlds. And no. Notch, you know, one one bit of speculation, I think uh, uh, well-reasoned speculation to add to that, um, you know, there were casting sides released like in November. So I guess when they actually like hire people and do auditions and stuff, mm-hmm. they release a description. And um, it seems to me that one of those characters has got to be Uhura. Uh, it doesn't, they use like a code name, but it's like a, a young comms officer straight out of the academy 
Uh, oh, and it, if, it, if it's not, if it's if it's not Uhura, it's like extremely uncreative um, character development. Well, you think about <laughs> characters that got a short shift in TOS that they could like really do something with. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, they should include her. But anyway, hey, I uh, also want to mention that we're gonna start a new series uh, of episodes next week. We still don't know which one we're gonna list. We're gonna record on, so just stay tuned. We'll we'll tell you later this week through our social media channels which episode you should watch. Uh, before our next podcast episode but with that rudy you nominated equinox why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened in this episode yeah so a two-parter um part one which is a season finale for season five um the memory alpha description is voyager finds another federation starship the uss equinox stranded in the delta quadrant but they also find that the equinox crew is harboring a dark secret and that ends in a season cliffhanger. Part two is Captain Janeway takes her quest for revenge against Captain Ransom to the extremes when she orders the use of photon torpedoes against the Equinox, tractors a neutral ship, and nearly kills an Equinox crewman during an interrogation, also relieving Chakotay of duty uh, because he questions her actions. So moral dilemmas um, are plenty here. For sure, a very layered episode. Uh, but before that, why don't we layer our strange new takes uh, on you? And I'm going to remove my name from the top of the list and put it at the bottom. I'm kind of <laughs> sick of this happening. So someone else. Okay, uh, then I will go uh, next. And so, <clears throat> sorry, I had a, a nice weird thing in my throat. So that's great audio for you there. Uh, for my real world take... I am completely prepared this time. Uh, so basically, I gave my chickens a bath last week, and I accidentally made Josephine cold. Uh, when I, I took her out of the water, she was just sort of sat there shivering a little bit. So I felt really bad. So I grabbed a towel and a blow dryer, and I uh, hair, blow, blow drew my... It's hmm? <laughs> a weird way to say that. Uh, I blow dried my chicken while she was on my lap, and she seemed to enjoy it. And I learned that... My chicken is smart enough to appreciate the uh, the experience of having her self blow dried, but she is not smart enough to know that I am the one that caused the misery of her being cold. <laughs> so the the next day she was very uh, into me and like wanted to follow me around everywhere, uh, but just couldn't connect that I was both the cause of joy and misery. So. Uh, there we go. For the episode itself, though, uh, I learned that Janeway doesn't need to look out of a window after a moral dilemma. She is she she just needs to stare off into the distance, and she's much more practical than Picard and pragmatic, and she can just do that anywhere. So we no no need for windows. Just give us the long stare off in the side. Wow. Um. As always, Adam, I, I visualize your chicken stories, and this was a, a good recital as well. So thank you for that. Um, my general new take is um, I play an interesting guessing game here in Austin a couple of weeks after the freezes. You know, spring is around the corner, and we try to find out which trees have actually survived um, 15 days of sub-zero temperature and which trees have, have not. So um, a, a small little fun game in taking bets on which trees are going to come back and which aren't. Um, this 
this episode, um, it's interesting to me that, you know, we can just, you know, play around with some quote-unquote ethical subroutines and then have multiple doctors all over the place doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So, yeah, that was exciting. Well, a lot of talk about Lyndon Baines Johnson this week after President Biden signed the largest relief or largest poverty reduction bill since LBJ's Great Society. And if you haven't done so in your life, I would highly, highly recommend deep diving into LBJ's life. He's a fascinating character, um, has some some loathsome things about him, uh, some really amazing things about him. I mean, he's the president who signed the Civil Rights Act. He's the president who got us into Vietnam. Uh, there's some things associated with him being a politician from the South that deal with race very poorly. But then again, he was also a teacher in a... Hispanic classroom when he was very young that gave him a very nuanced view of race in some ways for the times. Uh, he is a really interesting character to learn more about. I've had the opportunity with Rudy to go to the LBJ library. And so I will, my strange new take is that you should study LBJ and you will understand a little bit more about 60s in America through his experience. All right. Well, for this episode, uh, Janeway kind of went off the deep end there in the second one. And I, Oof, I felt like yeah. the tone of the second episode was different than the first in ways that I didn't find pleasing. But maybe we'll get into that after the break, uh, after we've discussed the moral dilemmas and, and talk mm-hmm. about how the how what we thought about each part. But I really I really thought that part one was the superior episode of the two. So <laughs> but Bill, Bill did a spit take right there. Uh, so, <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's jump into our in-depth episode. Gosh, discussion. I didn't get to do yeah. mine. You're skipping me. Oh, did I skip you? You skipped me. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, bummer. Sorry. Um, that's okay. Uh, so, my strange new take. So, uh, listeners, I live in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and uh, you know, like everyone uh, looks forward to spring so much. But I was, you know, thinking it occurred to me that spring is actually not that nice. It's like muddy and slushy and it's like always kind of rainy and it's still kind of cold and like all the plants are still dead so it's actually not that nice really it's just like relative to the winter it's like better i guess (laughs) i (laughs) actually it's a beautiful it's a beautiful day here today um so uh regarding this episode i i took notes when i was watching it and i felt like such a star trek fan because like 80% 80% of them are critical <laughs> or like me, like, like <laughs> nitpicking, but, but two, two main things. One is I, I hate techno babble. It's so dumb. And then two, and this notch, this is why I made that face, you know, this formula that's probably in like, honestly, like a third of Star Trek episodes where they like encounter some people and they seem nice but then they really turn out to be bad. It's like so. <laughs> it's like you you know it's gonna happen. It's so Old unsurprising again. and so tired. And so I actually like the second episode more. But I'm sure we'll get into that. <clears throat> okay. All right. All right. Well, uh, if there isn't anybody else that I've unfortunately missed uh, in my stupidity, uh, I can tell move. more chicken stories if we want. But there we go. <laughs> let's save them for next time. Let's uh, let's jump into talking about uh, the moral dilemmas. And Rudy, you mentioned earlier that the moral dilemmas in this episode, there's a lot to, to cover. 
Uh, they're layered, as I mentioned before. So what? how do you want to tackle this? Do you want to go one by one or... Yeah, and I think it's interesting. We all we all kind of felt there was a whole different pace to the to the first uh, episode versus the second, right? Um, the first episode for me, it's the part I liked about it. It is it's gradual, but you know, as as Bill was saying, there's something off about it. This is the first you know Federation vessel with Starfleet officers that these guys meet in the Delta Quadrant, correct? If I'm, mm-hmm. Unless I'm mistaken. Correct. And this is like five seasons in, right? That's that's a ton of episodes, um, five years in. So there's that, you know, um, there's a lot of uh, conversation and banter around, oh, we thought we were the only ones. And there's, you know, um, some some good, good, good feelings there. And this is going to be a convoy. And then there's weird stuff that happens, right? You, you slowly... Um, discover that Ransom and his first officer, Burke, I believe, uh, are hiding something. And um, Seven stumbles upon um, some weird power signatures. And then, you know, there you go, Tuvok, who's always the one to doubt everything, is is on a, on a, a mission to discover what's going on. And at, right at that point, I felt um, that, you know, wow, are we... It's the first time we're having two Starfleet vessels in the Delta Quadrant, and you know there's potential of having a convoy going back, you know, home, and we're already starting to distrust people. Is that fair? Um, do we do a clandestine investigation versus like just ask him up front? So that was like a very initial moral dilemma, and then it just it's just a roller coaster ride from there, right? What do, what do you guys think about just the beginnings of of um, Secretly investigating versus going to ransom up front without without food. I I mean I I it it, it seems imme- pretty immediate like that we that there's something to suspect uh, with with ransom with he he has this moment where he's sort of very awkwardly sort of saying like so how many times have you broken the prime directive <laughs> oh I mean uh, I mean I've I've never done it definitely I have not ever broken the prime directive I was just asking you for for casual conversation uh, like I I feel like there's there's a bit of sort of like awkward. Uh, villainy going on in the first episode which uh maybe seem like i feel like we could have investigated them a little bit further or a little bit earlier but um yeah i i don't, I don't know yeah no, i this probably isn't the answer that you're looking for rudy but um the way it's written they have already revealed to us the audience that you know they're being duplicitous so it you know so since we already know that it kind of makes sense just to do it Right. And, and there's yeah. a little bit of intrigue. I mean, you know, they're going to find something. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe if it if it had been written differently or it really, if we were discovering it along with the characters, it, it might make more sense to do it differently. <clears throat> I, I also I think I was also caught off guard by her decision just to send the doctor in clandestinely without confronting Ransom and Burke first. And. I, yeah, I think I think it just started off things on the wrong foot. I think you get them in, you try to get their explanations, you put them in the brig while you investigate. Like, they're Starfleet officers. You can, like, you know, confine them to quarters. You outnumber them. And it mm. would have led to less unknown variables as well. You could control more um, during that. Like, this isn't, like, the public. You can just put Burke and Bransom in a jail. Like, it's the military. You can do whatever you want. 
um, if you have suspicions, right? Like there, there's different standards for confinement and and for uh, tell like you can order people to do whatever you want. And Janeway was a superior officer, so I I think it was she allowed there to be more uh, unknowns by doing the kind of sneaky route than than just being upfront. Well, I wonder yeah, if it was point. because she kind of. She'd never met him, but she regarded him highly, right? There's he's like a famed exobiologist that right. solves some, some interesting first contact situations. I forget the name of the race. Um, did that cloud her judgment a little bit in terms of, um, uh, you know, confronting him? And then you don't have evidence. You put people in the brig that may accelerate the timeline um, for the for the antagonist, right? And you may you may be caught off guard. One thing I found really interesting is. The doctor's been sent on like a solo away mission and his mobile emitter is it's like a major Achilles heel man like it's just like he introduces it to the other EMH and it's like whoop in five seconds he's whacked on that and and he's um that, that was pretty dumb of the doctor <laughs> he's like yeah. oh you see this magic like invaluable thing that's just hanging on my arm <laughs> that would <laughs> totally change your life like yeah I just got it you don't sorry <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I I can kind of get their, how naive they are about the other EMH, though, because it, it, they set up almost immediately that, oh, maybe their EMH is not sentient. Like, he, he's he's barely, like they say, I think they said it very early on, he's, he can barely hold a scalpel, a scalpel mm. or something like that. So I, I think it's possible that um, even with uh, imagining a duplicitous crew, they might have uh, just have the stock EMH that can only respond to medical emergencies and do nothing else. Um, so yeah. yeah, that, that was dumb. They should have suspected that since they're like lying about everything, that also the EMH could be compromised yeah, that's, because that's of fair. plot magic. They just ignored that and just went ahead and. Yeah. And they kind of like sort of, um, lulled us in with some of the characters as well. Right. With, um, I'm going to call him Bosch. No, I'm not going to call him Burke. Um, <laughs> You could call oh, him Smoke Monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah but... Bill. It's Titus Bellover, same guy who played Bosch, who plays Maxwell Burke. Well, I was just gonna say, I think we have to just a meta a meta comment for a second. I couldn't help but notice that the two biggest bad guys in this episode were named Rudy and Max. <laughs> <laughs> well so um, so who yeah, knows I'll, what horrible atrocity max is off committing right now since he couldn't you know he's apparently too busy but i'm I'll sure rudy max, knows i'll wait for max to return to uh, mount a joint defense to this <laughs> so, um, but, but yeah so like characters like um burke you know aka bosch um um, background with BLT, by the way, I like that nickname for Balana. Um, yeah, and I, and with I believe Gilmore and in, in the scene with um, uh, Ensign Newsom is is that the is it the the Qatarian? I forget her name. The the child on board the Voyager. Naomi Wildman. Naomi Wildman. Mm. Right. Um, so they they kind of lull us in that way, and and we kind of get the sense that. The crew is of good heart, right? They're, they're Starfleet officers and, and the other gentleman, um, Noah Lessing, I believe, when these guys try to get together and they're like, hey, you know, we're going to have to get out of here because they're finding out what we're doing and we need to steal the field generator, all of that. 
Um, Lessing says maybe we should just sort of, you know, uh, stop. Um, so you're trying to see, you're seeing these individual characters mm-hmm. that are kind of going through indecision and you immediately realize that they've probably been struggling with this for days, weeks, months, years. I, mean, I don't know how long actually, not maybe, maybe not years, but, um, and that's interesting to see because it changes through the first episode and then into the second one, right? Um, some people kind of hold true, um, ransom changes drastically like he, I, I remember at the end of the first episode he's the one who um basically forces not forces so much but convinces the crew to, to like do the bad thing mm-hmm. whereas he's the one who he's the one of the only ones who does the opposite in in the second episode so i, I don't i don't think that's 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 um choppy writing i just think that's exposure to how indecisive people can be when they're you know faced with such hard moral dilemmas um, in terms of survival and all of that. What do you guys think? Well, so at least on the, the timescale issue, I, th- I think that the this ship has to have been in the Delta Quadrant at least five years because uh, at this point, Voyager... Um, so they, they came they came over with the via the Caretaker and Voyager destroyed the Caretaker. Yeah. So it's it, that's that kind of puts Equinox either was there and, we, and was just kind of off screen and we didn't notice them or uh, came through earlier on. Um, so I, 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 I guess to some degree, I, I do get the um, sort of what these characters are, are going through because they, like if they're the only ones left out of, uh, I don't know that we ever have a, a, a confirmation of like the crew complement of a Nova class ship, but they, they have more than 39 because 39 died in one of the incidents. And... Um, the, I think it's just the, these people have been around and are in such an insecure situation that, like they, they, they don't know that they can trust anybody. So I, 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 I kind of, um, I like how they were able to add some um, sort of complication to each of these characters, like making us like them a bit or like feel like they're going to go go against Ransom's orders. Um, but so like, yeah. The, the crew complement of the Nova is 78. And I think to add mm. to your um, to your piece here, I mean, this is a pretty direct allegory to the we were only following orders mm-hmm. uh, thing, right? Like, literally at one point, Ransom says to Janeway, like, leave, you know, don't do anything to my crew. They were just following orders. And she says, their mistake. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And... I mean, it's e- very easy for us to sit here and say, like, yeah, they, <laughs> there was a line there. They crossed it, each individually on their own. But I think it's also important for us to recognize that when a figure of authority asks you to do something unethical, um, it's it's one of those things where, uh, this is that principle we discussed in our first episode, or Moral Dilemmas episode, second one, where, you know, it depends on the gravity of the infraction, where you can make people commit higher and higher levels of infractions slowly uh if you if you if you don't make them go from one uh like an infraction level of zero to an infraction level of 100 if you give them like five at a time or 10 at mm-hmm. a time you can make them do worse and worse stuff because you normalize the previous level of um of unethical behavior and you know with 39 people dead in the first like two weeks or whatever it was that that ransom mentioned that's about half the crew 
um, you can see how those there would be duress, how they would have to make really tough decisions. I mean, Janeway makes pretty tough decisions at times prior to this episode, right? Like they do mm. questionable things to survive. Um, like, for example, freeing the Okampa and interfering in the Okampa on the very first episode. Like that's technically like against the Prime Directive. Let's forget about the fact that all the Starfleet captains break the Prime Directive all the time. But like... <laughs> She's making those tough choices too. It's just that Ransom's crew had to make even tougher choices. So their decision about whether to behave unethically, I think, yes, it's a bad moral decision. But we have to understand that they've been conditioned to make those worse and worse ones as time goes on. And it is hard. As humans, we we are conditioned to, to uh, obey authority figures. And it's difficult, especially if everyone around you seems to be just like nodding their heads and doing whatever they want. It's hard to... To, to be the one who sticks out. And this is something that Gilmore actually specifically uh, comments. She said she concentrated on on the work and not how it's going to be used. Yep. You, you just find, you compartmentalize what you're doing and you find a way to get on with your life. The human ability to adapt to difficult situations mentally is amazing, actually. So, um, so the, yeah, they made a mistake, but I can see, I, 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 I think it's important for us to understand why it happened and how it happened and how we can solve it for yeah. ourselves and not yeah, get caught up. And just to call out, right, um, sometimes that line you talk about, Natch, it's not very clear in front of you when you get to it and then you're like, oh, I'm about to cross it, so I won't. You sometimes realize in hindsight, so if we go back through exactly what happened to them, they lost half their crew, um, and I think they lost warp power, so they were only on thrusters, badly damaged. They came across the Ankari, were, were trading for parts, and then they came across these beings that seemed to emit antimatter, and then they wanted to communicate with the beings, I'm assuming with the intention of trying to see if they could, you know, again, trade for antimatter to get their warp um, core back online, and they mm-hmm. accidentally trapped one without realizing what happened, right? Yeah. And then they had a residue of antimatter, so then they used mm-hmm. it, or maybe they, they expect that's when they experimented. Janeway said you did meticulous experiments. Maybe those happened on the first dead um, alien, right? And and then what happened after that, we don't really know. But he has a count again of how many how many additional aliens. He says 63 or something like that mm-hmm. it will take to get to the uh, Alpha Quadrant. So, yeah, that that's kind of tricky and and. Moving on, if, if, if y'all are good, um, there's, since there's so many other moral dilemmas, um, you know, things um, spin out of control, doctors get switched, um, Janeway, um, Janeway sort of, I think the next moral dilemma is Janeway has a decision to make around, you know, literally chasing, and now we're into part two, literally chasing um, the equinox, or, uh, and, and her ship is kind of damaged as well. Um, or trying to find another way, right, um, um, to sort of defend against the aliens first. So I'm not sure, so sure that's a moral dilemma, but she sort of gets obsessed, and I think that's because she's, um, you know, I guess Starfleet captains are held to high standard. She really does not want um, Starfleet to get a bad rep, and, and that's the most important thing for her. Uh, even greater than potentially securing the ship itself, which may be at risk from these aliens. So And Chakori's trying to you know, nicely communicate that to her? What are are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, she gets fixated on that and it's almost like a Moby Dick, White Will kind of thing. And I I don't know if I have a lot of opinions on that itself, but, you know, then it fuels the stuff that comes later with her and Chakotay, which I thought was actually a really interesting 
uh, mirror uh, against what had happened on the Equinox. Yeah, it's... Um, I think she crossed the line there. And that, like... If the admirals are reading her logs later, uh, that that you get court-martialed for. Because, like, it's... And you're talking uh, about the interrogation specifically or choosing yeah, the to interrogations. chase? <laughs> okay. The choosing mm-hmm. to chase... chase ransom thing i think that's natural i think i think there's no moral dilemma there for me i you you gotta you gotta she's actually you know there's a way to look at that as doing the right thing fixing what's Mm. gone wrong um fixing and trying to contain the problem and yeah right 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 and bring people to justice but um mass murder justice uh but i think the interrogation is like clearly a line crossed and for me there wasn't enough motivation of what that line of that line being crossed for that line being crossed in my mind. Yeah. Like I think a Starfleet captain, like if, if her vessel was being attacked and people were dying left and right, like, okay, I could like, at least I, I would still say it's wrong, but I could see how she could be pushed into making a rash decision. But with what she did, I think it just seemed like an expedient rather than, you know, cause Chakotay had a workable plan. In fact, it worked. Uh, and I thought it was very reasonable what he was suggesting. And I think she just, wanted to um she want she did something unethical to make an unworkable option and to attempt to make an unworkable option into a workable option when she already had another workable option maybe suboptimal yeah. but it existed mm-hmm. and, and so i thought that was wrong and, and so they found the second time they found the equinox was because of the aliens right she yeah. kind of made that deal with them so uh, i think she maybe stopped thinking logically as there's a there's another way to reach out maybe she didn't think that there was enough um weight in negotiating with the aliens um and trying to you know get uh, get their location she kind of was crazily searching for you know those nucleogenic particles or emissions right that's how they were tracking that ship and she was telling chakura he you know um ransom likes to hide so look for him in places that people are hiding, but yeah, that that whole that whole interrogation scene. I think that's one of the most powerful scenes uh, I've I've experienced at least in in Voyager. Um, and and literally the way she, um, so Chakotay goes in right. He he knows he can't disable um, um, her her command, so he goes in and he shoots at the fissure, brings um, Blessing mm-hmm. out, and then he's like, okay, you know, you uh, convey your loyalty. And then she like steps between them, right? And walks away as opposed to going around him. She wants to show Chakotay, I feel that I'm not okay with this. And then in the briefing, she's quiet and she has a stare, like this angry stare throughout. And then she tells him later on um, how she felt. And then she dismisses him, but not just that. So this is where it gets really slippery. She threatens Duval, right? Yep. She's like, I- I've dismissed, uh, I've confined my first officer to quarters. Um, do you want to be next? And he has an important decision to make almost a dilemma there, right? And he is supposed to be extremely logical and he chooses to be like, you know, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go with you, Janeway. <laughs> what do you guys think about that? I, I found that an interesting, somewhat submerged part of um, the plot. Yeah, it. I mean, it, things, it, it did feel like this episode just went over the top and extreme in a lot of ways that didn't exactly make sense to me. I, I mean, definitely there's the, the bit of like, since I'm I'm a Starfleet captain and I've upheld myself to great standards and it's been really hard, like maybe I'm more offended that someone else has not been doing that. So I, I go out of my way to kind of correct that situation. But um, I guess the the thing for me that with the interrogation is like 
these aliens have been shown to kill people within like seven seconds or something like that. And so it, it, I don't even know that a human is capable of making a decision about like, should I help them or should I betray my captain or like, should I help them and betray my captain or do I need to stay loyal or whatever? You don't like seven seconds is not enough time for you to like really go through that. Even if this type of negotiation were valid, which I don't know that there's any evidence that like saying like, well, here, I'm just going to waterboard you until you give me some information. Like people just make shit up. Um, well, the, this is, this is, this is also, we should mention this game, this episode aired just about two or three years before all of that waterboarding controversy. So torture yeah. as a legitimate act became culturally relevant soon after this. Yeah. And so, um, the, the, the thing is, I, so I, I feel like they, they kind of, uh, went to a strange direction with with Janeway's character and I, and I, I feel like uh, Tuvok also like not standing up to her is is kind of a similar thing like I, I I think there was based on her actions there was a case against um uh Janeway that was probably sufficient for Chakotay to remove her from command uh yeah. and I think Tuvok would have would have backed that up and um so I, I I just I think it's it's interesting seeing sort of all the dominoes fall into place where like people should have done something and they didn't or they uh should have stood up and they and they didn't i mean um, so you, you I, look at star trek 2009 right emotionally compromised yeah Janeway yeah emotionally compromised sorry bill <laughs> i so i actually don't think it's inconsistent at all because in season two with Tuvix, we already established that Janeway is a stone cold killer. So I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, it was weird. But, I, but you know, the way I look at it and looking at it this way, I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, we, we know how things unfolded on the Equinox, right? And what happened to Captain Ransom. And then we, and, and then Janeway is like in the, you know, first uh, episode, she's like the good guy and whatever. Uh, but then the same thing starts happening to her. Actually, she's becoming Ransom. Right. And um, and then we see the those kinds of checks and balances um, play out uh, in, in the way that they should. Right. Or like Chakotay stands up and does the right thing. Maybe Tuvok. Well, at least he, he raises a concern, at least, even if he chickens out in the end. Um, and, you know, I think it, by the end of the episode, Janeway comes around and, and it doesn't turn out like it did on the Equinox. If Michael Burnham was there, uh, Janeway would be unconscious uh, in that hallway, <laughs> and <laughs> things would have gone very differently. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I think I think the 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 question to me, you know, Rudy, you asked about um, also Tuvox decision. Chakotay, you know, we've talked about had, had should have stepped in. I don't know if does Tuvok even know that what Janeway pulled with Lessing, like. Has Chakotay been able to like mm. mention it? So I don't know. I mean, he might, I mean, it, this might be, a, you know, we, we talked about before how uh, you can make little decisions that are a little bit worse mm. each time. And uh, and that gets you to a place of, of um, doing the worst thing, which by the way, we didn't discuss actually how you get around that, which is that you have to critically analyze the situation and ask yourself, me of six months ago, would I have done what I'm about to do? It's very hard to do. But that's that's one of the ways that you overcome that ethical gap is to, is to really stop. And that's what Gilmore does, right? She stops herself and she's like, okay, reset. Um, but in this situation, it's kind of the opposite where Tuvok is being asked to him. He hasn't 
had to do the little thing that Chakotay did, which was let Janeway get away with it for a little bit. So he he doesn't get to that point of like, oh, I should like intercede and decaptain her. Because for him as well, it might be like the first infraction. So he might be like, ah, you know, mm. maybe I need to let her get away with it this time. Which if he had maybe known about what happened to Chakotay, uh, he might not have done the next time. You know, he had to know something he, though. He, Chakotay was confined, well, he, right? Well, and and he he did he uh um uh he he detected the the lapse in the security grid uh when uh they she lowered the shields over the cargo bay, so right. he he was at least aware of that. But um, so maybe Tuvok, I shouldn't be giving him a pass. He's a horrible person, <laughs> uh, security officer and logic failure. He failed in his duty. Yeah, and and I don't know. Um, I I'll just say you know as is it emotionally compromised revenge focused like if I was a senior officer on that crew and I saw what was happening to Jane Janeway, and Chakotay was was confined for a weird reason right maybe I don't know what's going on I would look to Tuvok, the person that I know he is, right? Like, right. The, the fate of yeah. the... The moral fate of the crew lies with Tuvok. So that was an interesting point for me. Um, what did y'all feel about... Um, again, the, the, the part that Tuvok disagreed with, right? Um, which is essentially sacrificing an entire ship and potentially its crew, literally trading lives for justice. And there's a little bit of... You know, it's kind of like an extradition, right? Like, hey, you know, by your laws, you will defend him. I mean, so you will, you you will um, try them by your laws, or you may just sort of kill him, right? We don't know, but yep, I'm willing to make that trade just to know where the ship is. What do you guys think about that? That's that's the call she made in the end, right? Um, which Tuvok found. Um, I think that one's tougher for me because I, yeah, on the one hand, you're you're. You're ensuring that they'll have certain death in their future. But it kind of depends on what your end goal is, which is, is it to stop the murder? If it's to stop the murder, then you got to stop the Equinox by any means necessary. And that if that means subjecting your people to the justice of a different species and what they think is appropriate, I think you can't stand in the way of that necessarily. I mean, or rather, I think you, you can stand in the way of that, and and be like yeah no we take we administer justice to our people but i think it's it is appropriate to say like all right we're in your world we're in your space we're in your like y'all are the aggrieved party you get to try them i think countries that are on the world right now at least in between humanity we we prefer not to let that kind of thing happen but there is such a thing as extradition right i don't know what the star trek ex- <laughs> starfleet extradition laws are but essentially that's how i saw it, it, it i saw it as janeway saying that's fine. We just need to stop this murder. And I am extraditing as a trade. I promise to extradite Equinox and its crew to y'all. Mm. And just because the justice of this other species tends to be very harsh. Um, I don't know that, that that necessarily by itself made it the wrong decision given the harshness of the crime. So, yeah, I I, I think I'm of a similar mind because it, it there was... There, there have been several instances where it's like we're on someone's world and we and we allow that. And I, I think the interesting thing about it, this episode is like, yeah, I guess we're kind of in their space, although maybe their space should be considered just like the nucleogenic realm or whatever that's supposed to be. 
Um, but yeah, it, that, that felt a little bit more like a gray area to me, but although Janeway had already shown to be, uh, extremely questionable at this point. Well, I, um, just an, a slightly different lens to, to view it through, um, you know, I mean, they're existentially threatened at that point, right? Like they're, they could lose Voyager and everyone could die, right? And I think um, clearly when people are in that kind of a situation, they make, you know, it's it's much said differently. It's much easier to kind of enforce like ethical norms like that when you're coming from a position of strength. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think, I think that's, Pretty much it. We covered most of the moral dilemmas. The last one for me is, do you think, um, you know, uh, there's a couple of things there. We get a sense of what Janeway feels is a standard by itself for Starfleet captains mm -hmm. in, in the attempt of ran Ransom redeeming himself, right? Like right at the end. Um, I forget the term, but she says something to, to the likes of, after all, he's a Starfleet captain. Um, you know, let's let's trust him. She has to trust him with. Um, he's trying to transport the crew out when Burke uh, goes crazy and takes <laughs> takes command, right? Um. So, do you think? Do you think not so much moral dilemma, but do you think um, Ransom redeemed himself? I mean, where would she in... go? What would she go and tell? What would she write in her logs? I don't think we ever get to that, right? Like, what would she write about him? I mean, that that was clearly the intent by the writers, right? Or th that's what the narrative was driving towards. Although I found it, uh, it's too bad Dinah isn't on. I found it to be extremely sloppy writing. Like, why did he do that? It's because he had that like vision of seven of nine or something. Let's, let's I didn't circle understand back to this. at all. It, it just came out of nowhere. Let's, let's circle back to this in the second part after the break. I, there is one other point on moral dilemmas I want to make before we move on to talk about writing, which is we haven't discussed it in a lot of detail, but because it's kind of obvious, but you don't murder people because it'll make your life better. Uh, that's a bad thing. Uh, so what the Equinox did is bad. We we should just say that because it's a top level dilemma, right? Um, and again, if you find yourself thinking, you know, I'm a, I'm a member of the uh, Uruguayan rugby team in the 70s, abandoned on top of a mountain after an air crash, and we have some dead humans here, should I eat them because I don't have other food? And you're like, okay, I'm going to take a few bites. You don't start killing the alive people to give you more food, right? Like, so I could see... There's Wait, a part not, of, you're saying cannibalism is bad? Uh, murder, fo cannibalism <laughs> followed by murder is bad. And okay. cannibalism in general, I think I'm not going to go there right now because, like, I feel like, yes, it's a bad thing, but, like, we we are not... And this actually happened, by the way. We I was just kidding. Uh, yeah. We're, we're not the rugby team that ended up on top of the mountain, which actually read okay. about the story. It's kind of like harrowing. There's a movie about it. Um, it's kind of yeah. crazy. So, but, but the point is like, okay, you have this like dead body, which I mean, yeah, they kind of still committed some crimes to get it there, like stealing the thing and then like setting up a force field. Like I, I think you can question the ethics of that experiment. Let's set that aside for just a moment and, and just say like, one of the, the spirits of good fortune just ended up dead in, in Ransom's ship with no involvement of Ransom at all. At that point, like, you could say that given the hardships that the ship was having, that maybe, you know, if you have this chemical and it's there already and it's not like, you know, you didn't do anything to make it get there. 
I could maybe be like, okay, like it's not right, but you defiled a body, but okay, you, you, you did what you had to do. But then to continue killing aliens after that, I think that's that's an even harder line. Uh, sure. The ransom crossed. For sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, don't kill stuff. Um, that's not that's not good. <laughs> yeah, because it, it it there is definitely that level of so like it's a it's a short range ship so it's not really meant to be able to travel these kinds of distances anyway like the the reasonable thing that they should have been considering is like okay maybe we we current we're adrift in space right now but if we use this nucleogenic life form who's who's dead maybe that can get us to an m-class planet in the area and we can just try to like build a new warp drive or like try to like like there we don't have to go to the alpha quadrant anymore we're all going to be dead by the time we 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 can actually make it back anyway maybe we just live here now and and i guess you know i i mentioned the the kind of inflection point of like using the body versus killing people i think there's an inflection point before that if we don't set aside the unethical thing that it was just stealing the technology why don't you just talk to the ankari or whatever and be like hey look we are very hard pressed right now your spirits of good fortune have some like special stuff happening. Can we like talk and like figure out a solution instead mm-hmm. of being like, we're going to steal this technology, pull one of them out of space and try to like trap them, uh, which is exactly yeah. what happened. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to make sure we kind of put a little, we crossed that D and dotted the I and said what Ransom initially did was bad. So um now that we've done that, let's take a break. We'll come back to talking about story and writing, much more about this episode. BLT. Max, I tried to say hello in sickbay, but you were sedated. I remember. I thought I was dreaming. <sighs> so, where's my sweater? The blue one? Class insignia on the back? We went to the academy together. Hmm. Maxwell Burke. Tom Paris. Harry Kim, welcome aboard. First officer. Impressive. The last time we talked, you were about to drop out of Starfleet. I heard you beat me to it. The Maquis? For a while. Until I ran into these two. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been hell ever since. Well, I told you Resident Vulcan I'd be right with him. Are you free later? I'd love to catch up. Why don't we all have dinner together? Sounds great. <sighs> BLT. Bacon, lettuce, and tomato. It was a nickname. A nickname? My initials. Oh, how romantic. We broke up over 10 years ago. No need to go to red alert. How about yellow alert? You're cute when you're jealous. Who's jealous? See you in the equinox. Well, turkey platter, what do you say we go to work? Welcome back to Strange New Takes. We're talking about Equinox Part 1 and Part 2, which if you have watched these on Netflix, you will notice that the episode numbers that I gave you in our promo on social media were not the episode number, or at least for the fifth season, part one. It's not the episode number that you see on Netflix. And to explain why, is Adam. Yeah, so if if you're like me, you remember the 90s, sort of. And uh, w- one of the interesting things that happened, uh, I, don't, I don't remember exactly why. I think it's probably just Voyager writers were, and like marketing team was jealous of like that there are Star Trek movies. But Dark Frontier was pitched as like a Voyager movie. And I think it actually had like a, an hour and a half or something time slot instead of, or I guess probably two hours and we just stuffed it full of commercials. Uh, and instead of the uh, sort of typical per- two-parters thing, it was later broken up into uh, two parts for syndication. 
so like it's we're yeah we're now left in this kind of bizarre world where something that was a single episode is now called part one and two but netflix just wants to show us the original way uh but still weirdly calls it part one and two in the middle of it yep and uh that was dark frontier if you will recall is the appearance of the borg queen and voyager uh it's very and it came out very soon after first contact so it's uh it's kind of a, it has, I read about it a little bit yesterday, strange story attached to it. Maybe someday we can get back to it if we do yeah. like Borg episodes or something. But let's talk about this story and, and talk about, I think we should start with just a baseline discussion of about part one versus part two in terms of conception and writing. They were written at different times because uh, this is in the trivia notes, but I'll just mention it right now. Ronald D. Moore joined the writing team for part two after Deep Space Nine ended, which was during Voyager's fifth season. So he helped write part two, but he didn't help write part one. Um, so part one, I thought, is a much more kind of emotionally stable experience where things build to a certain point and, and the characters' motivations are pretty are, are consistent throughout the episode, in my opinion. Whereas part two which you were ta- you Bill and you and Rudy were talking about a little bit earlier, it just kind of jumps all over the place and, and has to force its characters to do things that I'm not necessarily sure that they would choose to do, like Ransom at the end there. So I, I thought the, the just the, the writing on part two, the motivations of the characters were quite, quite off. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. I mean, they do... Like I said, I mean, I don't understand at all why Ransom changed his mind at the end and Janeway is acting crazy. But part, but it's more interesting to me, much more interesting. Part one is like c- completely, totally boring. It's just like there are good guys and bad guys and the good guys do the good things and the bad guys do the bad things. And like it was like written by somebody who was asleep or something. Well, it's all set up. Uh, so I, I guess maybe related to your point there, um, uh, apparently the the first episode, uh, so at Equinox was, uh, I was reading on this on uh, uh, Memory Alpha, but it seems like that episode was kind of unplanned. They had were apparently exhausted after writing the rest of the, the season and uh, kind of didn't outline the episode and just wrote things. And they're like, okay, and what's the next cool thing that could happen? And so then they just wrote the next scene after that. And... <laughs> And what I guess what's what's kind of surprising to me is like that somehow that uh, this is that's actually like one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek, the first one, and it <laughs> it seems like it was an accident that it was good. <laughs> I I think the 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 appeal of the first one is is this sense of like Voyager bumping into other Starfleet officers, and it's it's mm-hmm. been five years since these people have had a chance to meet anyone from Starfleet, and to get a dark cousin of Voyager, I think that's. You're right, Bill. Nothing happens. It's all set up. But I think it's the it's the mental kind of thought process that it sends you on, where you have to consider your put yourself in Ransom's shoes, where you see Gilmore having her like PTSD flashback. Which hey, back in the nineties, uh, they put an explicit reference to PTSD. Although Chakotay was done just like, oh yeah, you're scared, right? Ha ha. And was there was no like depth to it. Um, and I think. That was the appeal of part one, was kind of the 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 headcanon or the lore or like how you think about like, okay, now I'm going to like put myself in these people's shoes. Um, and I think that's what I liked. Whereas part two is very much, you're right, it, it has much more like of the dilemmas and it's all there on the screen in front of us. And 
it is much more of an action adventure kind of feel uh it has that to it i think i actually think i agree with all of you in terms of both of them being extremely different and we now know because there's writing differences writer differences but i actually liked how they um maybe even complemented each other where you sort of have a slow ramp and you set yourself up if you've been watching voyager before the first one you've already got a strong opinion on um the moral centers of Janeway, Chakotay and Tuvok for example mm-hmm. and 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 then all, a lot of that gets not all of it but a lot of it gets thrown into question as part 2 picks up and speeds up um i may be making an incorrect comparison but it almost felt tarantino-esque is like a slow build up and then suddenly a lot of stuff happens so that that's what that's what made sense to me um I liked the twist at the end and and we'll talk about it later. Uh, it just gave me insight into how making getting to be a captain after your first officer um uh, maybe a whole different thing and not as easy as just, you know, Riker waiting forever to get the right captaincy. Right? Because it, it, in that sense it it made it like Riker could get a bunch of captaincies in TNG. He just didn't want them. But in in this in this two part I got the sense that there is a whole other level of um um skills and 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 depth that a starfleet officer needs to become a captain right you are responsible the buck stops at you um kind of thing yeah um he's also an exobiologist um which is interesting given that Janeway's own background is in science and I think that was a nice little hat tip mm. there about it if though, for those who had followed the series you can see why she might be a little bit obsessed with him because mm-hmm. it's again just another mirror of her uh, where mm-hmm. she got this kind of intrepid class ship he was put into a little science vessel and you could see how Janeway when she goes back to her quarters is like that could have been me like I could have been captaining the equinox this whole time. And I think that's the tragic thing is that in the second part we don't get any of that. We don't get her grappling with what Ransom has done or what she is becoming. Um mm-hmm. and and there isn't this sense of like I'm pushing I know I'm fucking up and I'm pushing the line and I'm becoming like he is, but I'm going to do it anyway. It she's kind of shown to just be like completely self-believe have complete self-believe which i guess is an appropriate choice for the character but like i just i think there would have been more there if we had had to deal with some of that mirror aspect of it uh, of the two captains why well, i just didn't find the explanation that compelling that i mean i guess the idea is that she's so obsessed with like hunting down ransom that she's willing to do anything right okay i mean it I I didn't really understand the obsession um it, it didn't really do it for me. This was R- Ronald D. Moore's major criticism. So he left Voyager after contributing to two he writing two episodes. He wrote the story for one and he wrote the script for another and he contributed to the writers room a bunch but he flamed out at the beginning of season 6 because he hated this part about Voyager and this There's a really self-absorbed like long critique of Voyager that he's written up which basically comes down mm. to wow Voyager is in Deep Space 9 which as a young, as a teenager who loved Voyager and like had Deep Space 9 fanboys like constantly sniping Voyager people on internet forums I hated that little rant 
But now reading parts of it, I'm like, fucking, he's right. God damn it. Oh, yeah. So, that's so what right. did he, he say? Shit, I mean, what were... he, he gave a shitty ending to Battlestar Galactica, so he's still a bad person. No, <laughs> he's not. He's not a bad person. What did he say? Let me read his criti- criticism there on Memory Alpha, helpfully. Uh, <clears throat> the things that Janeway does in Equinox don't work because it's not about anything. She's not really grappling with her inner demons. She's not truly under the gun and suffering to the point where you can understand the decisions she's made she just gets kind of cranky and bitchy she's having a bad date these things keep popping around on the bridge and we just cutting to cut the shots of people grabbing phaser rifles and shooting hitting the red alert sign over and over again it doesn't signify anything it's kind of emblematic of the show there is a lot of potential and there's a lot of surface sizzle going on a lot of episode but to what end what are we trying to do what are we trying to touch in the audience what are we trying to say what are the things we are trying to explore where are we in this episode? That was my fundamental question. When I would say, what is the point of the of doing the first part? There was never a good answer for that. As a consequence, it was hard to come up with the, the ending to the show that has no beginning. You just start throwing things around. Two captains on different courses at least sounds like an episode. At least there is something in it. Janeway will take something away from that experience, but not in the current version. What does she learn from that experience? I don't know how it's affected her. Chakotay, for all his trouble, he just goes back to work. There is no lingering problem with Janeway. There is no deeper issue coming to the fore, which, of course, he's referring to the last scene where Chakotay and Janeway are like, let's make salad. Yeah, J- Janeway yeah. is just like, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't he's even salad. apologize. Yeah. yeah. I'll put yeah. you in jail. Sorry. Not, not even that. Not even that. Um, and I, I got to agree, right? And, and as pointed out in Memory Alpha, Ronald D. Moore took the story concept and he put it into Battlestar Galactica with the story of the Pegasus, which I will also say ends unsatisfyingly to me. The whole Pegasus um, storyline of BSG is just not fun for me. Uh, but he did it. He reworked it. So he got his last say. And I and I think Battlestar Galactica is essentially Voyager done right, right? Like it's a, it's a ship mm-hmm. that is like cut off from its whatever just heading off towards earth just like voyager actually uh and breaking apart but i think ronald e moore also showed that that even when you know how to do it right that there are problems and towards the end you start running out of ideas so and um, then you and then you descend into weird like uh music storylines and <laughs> yes yes so um so yeah, I, I, I think, but I have to agree with this criticism of this episode. It's like, even even just getting past the stuff that comes up at the end where you're like frustrated that, oh, by the way, we don't see any of the Equinox people ever again. Yeah. We just yeah. don't. They're gone. <laughs> Nobody even met, like, I think one of them actually shows up in the background for another scene somewhere down the line, but that's about it. And he's one of the like background people that's only in that final scene at the end. But... um. Yeah, we, we don't grapple with the fact that there is this other crew now on Voyager who have all been busted down to crewmen. And yeah, just like we, we didn't really deal with the Vaquis beyond like a couple of episodes. Right. But but even in this episode, I think I think Randy Moore is right that you just don't see what's motivating the thing that happens next in the second part. In the first part, I think I get it. I think the only part that I still a little bit like, eh, I'm not sure, is the doctor getting beamed over, but... I can, I can justify it in my head. Yeah. But the second part, you really, it's, it's, you, you, you make Janeway into Ahab, but you don't let her grow into Ahab. Mm-hmm. Mm. Kind of sudden. Yeah. Um, I, even, even the stuff about Doctor and Seven, like that last scene between them where they're like, oh yeah, it's cool. Don't worry. 
You just had your ethical subroutines removed. That's why you were slicing into my brain. Yeah, and and also, like, so the the way that they went through that storyline also was confusing to me because it's it seemed like he's like, oh, she's gonna essentially be a vegetable. We but they fix her at the end. But it, it was sort of like a wait, were you lying or were you? Did you still have some subroutines? Like, no, we're just gonna leave that as kind of a plot hole and. There was no complexity going on there. Well, I, th- I think he wasn't able to complete the procedure. But I think the call out is everything is somehow suddenly back to normal as the episode ends. Yeah. And there's no closure in terms of what happens in other episodes and in the upcoming seasons. This one just gets sort of cut out. I, the doctor part, um, I don't know if we're transitioning into character development. Like, there's an episode in Voyager for the Doctor where he has ethical subroutine conflicts and, like, a triage situation. I forgot the... It, not you uh, may remember Ashes to Ashes or something? Is No, Ashes to Ashes is the one uh, where the, she gets the animated. image. Latent image, correct, right? Yeah. So, and so he, he struggles... I don't, I don't know if it's before or after this, but he struggles with that, and literally the crew has to help him through that recovery. But over here, when his subroutines are reestablished he still has a memory of what he did and it's like oh that's okay because i had no subroutines that were ethical yeah. at that time so I'm fine sorry i was that. a little creepy there and almost killed you but the, i um, i don't know i mean they they could have explored this more for sure it would have been interesting and would have done it more justice but i think you know i would argue that he was violated in the exact same way that seven would have i mean they removed like a piece of his mind and his identity right against yeah. his will well, uh, yes, but I, I, I think, you know, if someone had had a gun held to them while an enemy forced them to stab me, I would be like, yeah, I get it. But I wouldn't be like, I'm okay with you now. Let's go sing on the holodeck together. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. I think that's the like, but if we if we go just one step back, though, I think the other thing that kind of bothered me a little bit about this is that no one actually restores the doctor's ethical subroutine. So why does he show up in Voyager and kill the other doctor? Like, I think Ransom does it. Oh, he he restores them. So, so yeah, there's like there's okay. almost like three doctors at some point. So there's Ransom's doctor on Voyager. There is a a backup doctor on Equinox that has the ethical routines deleted, and then there's the normal doctor that get gets back on Voyager and deactivates Ransom's doctor. That's kind of yeah, that's kind of weird. But yeah, I think I think Bill's explanation though makes sense to me is that Ransom is trying to fix his problems. Um, but speaking of character development, I think that's the biggest problem is Ransom's turnaround at the end. And I stopped your discussion of that, Bill, uh, earlier in the episode. Yeah, I mean, it just I get it. Like it's an American TV show that you need to be redeemed at the end or whatever. And but. It, like I didn't understand it at all. Like it's like I I think the trigger was supposed to be that like vision of seven inside the program or whatever. Mm-hmm. In that I guess, but I, that he, also, that also like, did not make any sense. Or I didn't. Yeah, really like get was that. she actually there? Or like I, I was I was trying to figure out like is that how she survived the procedure from the doctor that she like jumped into the thing? But like <laughs> I think she's just a hallucination or something. Yeah, but maybe confusing. yeah. Yeah. Maybe the deeper question is, and giving giving, are they trying to give the audience a sense of satisfaction that this will potentially not happen in the future, or 
if Voyager had never encountered the Equinox and they continued to do the crappy stuff that they were doing and somehow survived and got through those aliens, well, not all of them, um, Ransom would at some point in time have his captain goodness kick him in the head. And, and do, do you think it has anything to do with that? or um, Because th- th- they scapegoated Bosch, right? <laughs> they had to ke- have one final bad guy, right? And everything revolved yeah. around him, which gave um, Ransom some strategic distance in terms of morality to do his own redemption. But yeah. Which, which um, it seems weird in comparison to the first episode because it was Ransom driving it uh, yep. then. Uh, and I, incidentally, I did just solve the, the mystery of, of Seven of Nine. It's She was an angel the whole time. So. <laughs> Ronald D. Moore. Oh, shit. Adam gets it. Damn, that would have made that episode so good. Um, yeah. Oh, my uh, God. You know, I, I do have one question actually related to this, which is what if Ransom and Burke get away with it? They end up at Earth. Voyager shows up 30 years later. Yeah. And reveals the truth. That's uh, intense. They, yeah, like, right? that, that would have been a, a, a huge, interesting uh, exploration that they could have done in like the ending of the series or whatever. Voyager it's... comes through with that Borg sphere from the wormhole. Equinox just comes down and shoots it and destroys it. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe there's like some weird... Eichmann style hunt for ransom. He's like been hiding. Yeah. <laughs> In Argentina. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? right? I mean, like, that that that's what I was thinking about. It's like, what if they got away with it? Holy crap. I mean, that would have been a way to end this this episode. It's like instead of ransom turning around, they get away with it, and then in the seventh season they meet each other again. Yeah. Like, I I feel like um uh, what could have been like if, he, if... It, instead of having the um, Admiral Paris be the connection be- between the Alpha Quadrant and Delta Quadrant, we could have had Admiral uh, Ransom. <laughs> he just he's there's actually the whole season is a conspiracy where Barkley's trying to like get people's attention and there's someone trying to kill him. <laughs> 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 we just turned this show into like 24. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, and that's a hook for the next set of conversations. Is that right? Now? Well, uh, right. Uh, we we do need to take something into account before we end this episode, though, which is um, John Savage played Captain Ransom. John Savage was at that time an extremely well respected actor and has done um, some some amazing things. He he was his breakthrough was in the Deer Hunter. In 1978, which is a, uh, oh, really? I think it's a Vietnam movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't watched it, but I know it's one of those like seminal war movies that's meant that is one of the greatest war movies ever made. He's in um, the Thin Red Line. He's in Hair. Oh. He's in a whole bunch of other stuff. So like John Savage is a big time get for this episode, even at the time, and his presence is what convinced Titus Welliver, who was also a fairly well known actor at the time. Uh, to come in as Max Burke, as Rudy mentioned before, he was he was he would end up being Bosch later. Uh, something about Titus Welliver that I learned was that as most producers and directors usually wanted Titus Welliver to play crazy characters, he found a notable contrast with Burke, stating he's probably one of the most subtle characters that I've ever played. I felt that in order to give Burke any sort of military presence, I had to play him with an incredible stillness, and I found him 
I made him appear that much stronger. It was a challenge to be present in scenes and have to remain calm and focused as opposed to being very animated and expressive. I thought he did an amazing job as Burke. Mm. Like, yeah. I, Burke is one of those characters where, like, everywhere through the episode, I'm like, this dude, like, he is... I, I understood every decision he made. Um, and he doesn't have a lot of change, which is true. But, like, he is... I, I thought he stole every scene he was in. And, and I think, to your point, right, he sounded like the one person who could get away with all of this, if, if anybody could, except for his last decision to, like, go through, like, two or three decks to a shuttle. I think everything yeah, else... Yeah, like, extremely <laughs> dumb at the very end, but, yeah. The... <laughs> yeah, I mean, he had... Uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, I think I think there's another episode out there where he escapes and then comes back to like guest style to like destroy Voyager (laughs) (laughs) with a screw of two but um uh, other people Olivia Birkeland who played uh Marla Gilmore I thought she did a great job as well she um had uh, some uh, uh appearances in All My Children uh one of the other stars who I don't think was as famous as this at this point but later became very big is um rick worthy who played noah lessig he was um also janar the uh mammalian zindi in star trek enterprise in the in the Mm. third season of that show so he had a bigger role in star trek later on he also was one of the major characters in battlestar galactic and i'm not going to tell you who it was he also shows up in man in the high castle uh, he's done a lot of stuff since then. So this this show, like its guest stars, are big time, big time actors, all of them. So, uh, and I think that shows in the quality of the the performances. Good deal. Well, with that, why don't I ask y'all to stick your necks out and give this episode a rating? Who wants to Who wants to go first? Interesting. Let Let me. And yeah. and uh, let me ask this question again: Are we rating these together or separately? Uh oh, I, I will. I will start and try to rate them together, but I will leave it open to others. Uh, and I think it's harder to rate together. Um, I, I I still liked um, the flow. I I understand the complexities and the disconnects. Um, it was a little bit of um, rushed. Um, um, goodness at the end and all that i'll go ahead and give it eight and a half nucleogenic aliens out of out of ten um just because of the layering of of the various moral dilemmas and i truly feel that when when everybody has like a deep dark um trigger point maybe this was janeway right like a starfleet captain doing wrong things and and um, she'll go to any ends to stop that and um, that kind of that kind of snowballing effect it, it happens very quickly it's almost like um, a window into rage right Cert- certain people who are essentially calm suddenly get angry and they can't control and then you have hindsight which is always 2020 later on so I think that was it, it may have been a fluke of the fact that there's you know there's um, different writers at different times and, and across two seasons, but I like that part. Um, the chaos of it all. Um, so I think, I, I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll give this one an eight. 
Um, so I, and I think I'm, I'm mostly thinking about the first one when I, when I'm doing that, but the thing that knocks it down for me, what is that inclusion of that second episode? Cause it, the tonal shift is just completely different. And I, we just have our characters make absolutely insane decisions, uh, that I'm just not into. I, I, uh, the first episode was just like fun, really fun for me from a kind of like a lore nerd perspective of like, Ooh, there's a new class of starship that I can look at. Like the Nova class looks amazing, and it does. Uh, the uh, it's it's also just cool to think about. Like, what what if our crew had a different set of circumstances? And I, I think it might have been a ten if it weren't for how bad the second episode kind of turned out. So mm. there we go. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a six six multiphasic chambers out of ten. Um, I don't know. It's it was a Star Trek episode. <laughs> Man, jeez, I watched it. I enjoyed it. It was made a dark. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. And you're you're rating them both as the same. All right. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm actually gonna split mine apart. Then I'm gonna give mine ten, uh, the first episode a ten out of ten. I really, really enjoyed it. I I thought. I remember watching it the first time and just being like, whoa, yeah. these new Starfleet people, what are they going to do? Like, it's, it was, it's just, it's just like every scene introduces you to something new and complex and, and fun. Uh, the second one, I think, despite all of my troubles, I'm going to give it a seven. Um, it was fun. It's fun. I'll watch it. I don't have any problems watching it again. I think it's a, it's an entertaining episode to watch and it's it's like it's 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 an action adventure romp so i th- i thought it i i didn't go to like below my rewatchability threshold let's put it that way mm-hmm. always good to see chakode get confined to quarters and, and not not have an opinion about and just sort of go quietly. <laughs> does chakode have an opinion about anything <laughs> It's always soft if it is. Okay, uh, he has maybe we should give him a rating as well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could even give him a rating. Oh my god, <laughs> poor Robert Beltran. I mean, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> thanks, Bill. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Rudy, for being here today. I really appreciate it. Every thank week you, that Notch. we get to record yeah, together. Thanks, yes, thanks, thanks Notch. No problem. No problem. Thank you. Emily, thank you, Dinah. Thank you, Max. I always appreciate it when y'all are here, and I hope wherever y'all are today, y'all are having a great time. Thank you, listener, for showing up. We wouldn't make this if you didn't exist, so hopefully y'all are out there uh, enjoying our show as well. Thank you, Jishnu Guha, who recorded our theme music. He's got a podcast named Geek Fruit that you can listen to if you so choose. And uh, just a special word of thanks to the Replicator and Voyager. Like, all these freaking equinox people showing up be like mom yeah no i'm eating nice food and not em- uh, emergency rations hello how about like saying thanks or the neelix like being like wow this ship has a cook uh no it's just like oh this food is better than emergency rations hello dude like it's hard being a cook out here okay so special thanks to neelix and the replicator on voyager for their unthanked uh actions in this episode all right everybody we'll see you next week goodbye Bye. Bye.